My biggest piece of advice is don't be afraid to try. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But sometimes you just don't get the moments back in your life and it's just worth taking a leap of faith and, and giving yourself to time to really figure it out. Welcome to The Wagon Live. This week, we have Sonia Barlow, founder of Like-Minded Females and TEDx speaker on women's empowerment in tech speaking to us. Like-Minded Females is changing the narrative of inclusion through life skills workshops, community building and corporate training. Sonia has been recognised as a rising star in 2017, was a finalist in the UK Tech Business Women of the Year Awards and was also winner of the Pitch Fanzine in 2019. She's passionate about encouraging inclusive cultures, educating on life skills and enabling people to achieve success. Her TED Talk is also available on YouTube titled Failures Come Before Resilience. We can't wait to host her, so keep listening to find out all she has to say. So I graduated in 2015 from business school, uh, fell into the world of tech. So I didn't really know it was technology, nor did I really know that I was a woman in tech until people started telling me. Um, and so I started with a medium-sized tech consultancy and did kind of media and, and insight analytics, very much upskilled myself and trained on the job. And then went into technology consultancy, so really working with clients to identify their, their issues and solve their problems. Um, but some of my clients were actually, you know, energy clients based in Germany. So I was traveling back and forth. And then I went and worked for a fintech doing very similar role. And all of the skills that I had to incorporate in those um, areas were great stakeholder management, understanding and, and appreciation of the, the more technical colleagues, how long it takes them to do the work, being able to translate that back to stakeholders who have no idea what technology is. And at the same time, like team management, a lot of kind of uh, negotiation and, and equally working on a lot more of the softer skills. Um, about two years ago, actually, uh, two years ago, May, uh, when I left university, I had no social media. So I, I deleted everything and was digital detoxing before it was a thing. I just couldn't hack it, to be honest. And so I got got to about May 2018. And in between my first and second job, I realized I was I was very lonely. And I was really isolated. And, and this this tag of you're a woman in tech, you're a woman in tech, you're a woman in tech, kept kind of being said to me and then when I started realizing what that meant it meant yeah well I'm the only woman in this room or I'm the only one of who's brown or I'm the only one who's the youngest for example I was you know a, a young in a lot of kind of scenarios and so I really felt the the isolation and, and the difference there let's say and then I realized I didn't have a sense of community mm -hmm. around me I went searching I genuinely went searching. So I went to a few kind of membership clubs, went to a few networking events and realized they weren't really for me. They were really like bougie or expensive or they just weren't like normal people. I just wanted to talk to normal people who were going through normal things that I was. Um, and I remember going to this one uh, kind of like female networking uh, club in London and it was really cool. And they had like their own exclusive uh, uh, base. And I was like, this is, this is great. I, I like this vibe. And I left and they were like, right, so it's £1,500 to join plus £50 for an event. And I was like, I, I, I don't have that kind of money and I don't have that kind of money, most importantly, to meet other people. And so that frustration overnight, a couple of weeks before that, I'd reactivated my LinkedIn. So I had no more than 200 connections. I just created a closed LinkedIn group called Like-Minded Females. I and mean, I don't even think it was called Like-Minded Females at that point. It was something like, uh, woman, woman in tech or woman facing work problems, etc. And so I was like, right, this is going to solve everything. So in that closed group invited my like, you know, 20% of my closed connections. And I started posting really relevant content that everyone was facing. Three weeks later, I selfishly thought, you know what, I, I want to go for brunch. I want to go alone. People must love brunch and I'll make our first brunch event. So, um, you know, excitedly, like a little kid, I made the brunch event, I showed up to brunch, and I waited and no one showed up. And, you know, I really thought it was going to change and it was going to solve everything. Kind of fast forward um, six months, it was only after kind of four to six months that people really started showing up, and they really started understanding what I was about. And then in 2019, I started my year thinking, right, I'm going to think like a man. And that basically means is, I decided that I was gonna say yes to anything I could do 10% of. Like, so I strategically really wanted to wing my my year. That year by saying yes to things, it grew our network globally. So we, as a hobby, upskilled 900 people, um, facilitate 30 events. I personally delivered 20 corporate workshops on how to be more conclusive, delivered two TED Talks. Um, 
as well as four keynotes in Europe, had an advisory board and got really brave at the end of November and thought, Do you know what, I'm doing really well, I'm going to quit my job. So I just quit my job. And I'm in a really privileged situation because I had savings and I spoke to my other half and I spoke to my family. So I was like, I'm just going to quit my job. So I quit my job in November. I was like, right, this is really booming. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to go for it. December was was Christmas. So obviously nothing was happening. January got back in. February realized I'm not enjoying what I do. This is not what I was signed up for. And basically transitioned the business, like-minded females, into a not-for-profit. Uh, so now we're a not-for-profit enabling, educating, empowering, connecting women and underrepresented individuals, uh, kind of upskilling them in the focus areas of technology, entrepreneurship and, and business with a subset and very strong subset of confidence, personal branding and, and diversity. And then I set myself up as a consultant, so Sonia Barlow Limited, so I was the commercial arm. Um, and then COVID hit, so I'm just sitting here freaking out being like, right, well, I've got no money. I haven't been paid since October. I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by design. And then I exactly did that. What I what I do so well is I was like, right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it. I'm just gonna take a chance. And so I've started doing a lot of online courses, a lot online webinars. I have um, coaching, so I do coaching one to one on LinkedIn. And as of as of yesterday, but it launches tomorrow. I realized that my journey is a very dissimilar to a lot of the entrepreneurs or founders that I'm now surrounding myself with. And so now I'm launching a podcast called Strategically Winging It, which is basically how I ended up here. And that that's kind of a little bit about and me. And we're happy to have you here. Um, Thank you. And I know that you, um, I'm excited to sort of get into the um, nitty-gritty of like-minded females, but sort of um, winding a little bit backwards. Um, you started your career as a media planner. Um, can you sort of give us a yeah. bit of um, info about what your early sort of roles involved yeah, that's a great question. So I think the one thing I would make a point of before we start is uh, job titles are not always representative of the day-to-day. -day. So a planner in, in an instant was just a term, but really what it was is you were responsible for a client or a given client or a number of brands to understand customer trends. So I worked for a company called Dunhumby, which founded Tesco Clubcard. And so everything I did was with data. It was acknowledging the 20 million customers that go into Tesco, how they're buying, how they're, how they're purchasing, how they're not spending, where they're spending, why they're spending and, and what they're spending on. And so in my first role, I very much looked after total Tesco alcohol and wine. And then I jumped to looking after total Nestle. And very briefly, it meant Nestle or, or kind of Tesco would come to me and say, right, Sonia, we're losing sales in this area, but we don't know why. So it'd be up to me to go through all the data. So the data would saved, it'd be on a dashboard. It was my responsibility to understand exactly what that data was saying and understand where the purchasing power is going, where the spending money is going, what else is in their basket and translate, translate that back to people who had no idea of data mm -hmm. or analytics or maths or stats or kind of that customer vibe. But at the back of it, give them a strategic plan of right now that I've identified where the sales are going, here's how you can get your customers back. Um, and it was great. The skills that I used there were uh, obviously analysis and insight. It was data translation, data transformation. But most importantly, it was stakeholder management and it was communication. So it's great to be technical and it's great to, to, to understand data and to be able to um, use data. But until you can really communicate it and until you can show the richness and the power it has, it's useless. Yeah. And how did you from there orient your career towards the more technical side? Um, so I was in that role as a media planner and I did maybe in my role, I did like 30% insight and 70% strategic media planning. So kind of adverts and, and kind of a ad selling. I wanted to flip it around. And that title was an insight lead or, or kind of a, an analyst. And so I worked really hard with my internal mentors in the workplace and basically proved my worth to say, maybe I haven't done a, a necessarily a computer science degree, but I most definitely understand decision trees and how to do analytics and, um, and, and kind of, I, I showcased my skills and most importantly, I learned on the job. So it took about six months, eight months really to, to, to learn on the job. But it was about being proactive and taking those challenges. So when the interview came for Nestle, and Nestle was when I was an insight lead, 
I did get the job and then I again just translated um, my, my kind of, uh, I, I translated the information I had on the job and I very much learned. So I, I, I guess for me, it was very much, I knew a part of me wanted to be quite technical, but I also wanted to keep that creative element and the innovative yeah. element. And so, so I very much learned on the job and made sure that the next role I went into incorporated those skills where I was able to really do the hard nitty gritty and get into, into the dirty facts, but then go to the client and tell them exactly yeah. what they want to hear. And I guess um, going to meetups, as you mentioned earlier, is an important way to be able to network and find people in similar sort of environments. Is that, I know you mentioned that the cost of um, the meetup was a factor for sort of um, starting like-minded females, but was that the only factor or, or how did you sort of come up with the idea or decide to make it a business? That's a great idea. So to, to answer your second question, it was never meant to be a business, right? I'm quite honest about that. It wasn't. It just happened. So when I first started, it was just meant to be a community. And selfishly, it wasn't even meant to be a community. It was just meant to be a group of people that appreciated and acknowledged me and I could talk to about my problems. So the, the lack of the lack of accessibility was definitely an issue, especially being in London and around London. The um, lack of acknowledgement that, you know, diverse characters and different intersectionalities chase different uh, I mean um sorry face different challenges and therefore they need to be kind of spoken to and both solved in different ways so one of my own biases and I'm very honest about this is I started LMF for females and predominantly for women in tech actually what happened is we got towards the end of 2019 and we had 30% engaged men um and it was an all-inclusive industry and an all-inclusive remit and when we did a survey to ask would you like our name to be changed they were like, no, it's catchy. Um, I did exhibitions and people genuinely came because it was catchy. And now we're launching in, in Toronto and, and Madrid. You know, it's LMF Network just to make things easier to roll off the tongue. But it will always be like-minded females. And so the business element came into it when, despite having a full-time job, um, companies and communities started appreciating and understanding the organic community that we were creating. So everything we did was either five pounds or less. And that five pounds or less, I would very much tell you transparently where that money is going into either the food, the drinks or, you know, providing accessible educational uh, resources for other people. So it was never about making money. And then when businesses started asking us to get involved, to lead their workshops, to, to ask them on how to be more uh, community based, to ask them on how to attract more diverse talent. That's when it started kind of my, my wheel started turning in my head. And I was like, wait, this is this. This could be a business. And then. Uh, and then we had an advisory board who were awesome and they they really helped to, to give me a non-biased opinion. And they were like, actually, we believe it can be a business. It will take hard work and you will have to hustle. But we definitely think you're onto something that other people aren't onto. And that's where that decision came to. And that decision wasn't really made until September, October. And then due to other circumstances in November, I was like, right, well, let, let's just let's just see what happens. Yeah. And for the audience who may not be as familiar with um, LMF um, yet, um, by the way, don't go to their website if I'm right, Sonia. Go to LinkedIn yeah. <laughs> because the website is being redone. But um, can you give a bit of an overview about the company itself and um, what sort of your missions and aims are um, in a bit more detail? Yeah, of course. So we've actually just redone our missions and aims. And as I mentioned, it's because we very much transitioned from a limited company to a not-for-profit in um, March. So our very much our, our mission statement is to change the narrative of inclusion. That's our biggest vision, right? It's all about how are we creating more inclusive uh, environments and, and kind of workplaces and communities and organizations. And most importantly, how are we allowing you to show up as your best, most authentic self? That, that's kind of the, uh, the ideal. We're aligned, we've aligned ourselves with the UN strategic um, goals. So kind of goal number uh, four, five, uh, I think, uh, seven, eight, nine, or eight, nine, ten. So equally being about reducing inequalities, providing quality education, um, reducing gender bias. Those are those are very much our, our kind of remits. And our focus area for for this year, especially, some of our goals include upskilling twelve hundred people, providing one hundred and twenty speaking opportunities. So we want to give potential speakers and people who have knowledge to share the platform to to be able to do so in a really safe and inclusive way partnering with five um, 
organizations to help create inclusive environments, partnering with five universities to help upskill the future generation. We're launching a mentorship scheme to, to do that virtually as well. And, and alongside that kind of expanding into global markets. So as I mentioned, you know, we've, we've only been around for 18 months and um, we're already expanded into Toronto. So Benish leads that. And Kelly, who's actually on the call, leads our Madrid chapter, which we only launched a week ago. So it's very much about creating the sense of community globally and making sure that we are the go-to network when someone thinks, right, we want to be able to achieve and, and grow professionally, personally, but we don't want to pay stupid amounts of money or we don't want to be around people that don't really want the best for us. Like, I want the best for you and my team want the best for you. And, and, and really, our community sees that organic um that organic message that we're very much trying to send and how are you finding the impact has um changed or um or is sort of going through the period of isolation that we have at the moment is it sort of easy to focus on online webinars and things like this or is it made it more difficult yeah that's a that's such a good question right so when covid first hit in march we lost half of our business yeah so there, there's no kind of two lies about that and for a couple of weeks, I mentally was quite unhappy. And I remember, you know, if I could give a give an image of like someone who just didn't want to get out of bed and just curled up in bed, bed all day, it was, you know, I, I just felt very unhappy. And then I realized that it's it's somewhat of a blessing and it's about how can we really use this time to focus on our community and our base and our and our kind of actual um the people we're trying to help. And and you know, being kind of keeping in mind a week before we just turned into a not-for-profit. So we'd already been planning to launch webinars from January. So we were only doing once a month. Uh, I kind of woke up end of May, uh, end of March, sorry. And, uh, you know, my team absolutely dislike when I do anything like this. But I was like, we're going to have a whole month of online activity in April. And remember, we're all volunteers, right? So my team are absolutely awesome. But everyone's a volunteer now, including myself. And they were like, you're both crazy. And yet we know you're going to go through with it because you are that kind of crazy. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we took everything online. We worked really hard to provide really educational content. And we just did our numbers the other day, actually. And we had 970 signups for our online webinars. We had 23. We upskilled 786 people in April. Um, over 90% of them left feeling upskilled. Over 90% would recommend an LMF webinar. And most importantly, over 90% would come back. And, and so, you know, it, it, it just proved the power of community and it proved the power of, of going online. And in turn now, I'm working with companies and clients to do to have different focus areas. So we've kind of changed our service offering, let's say. So currently we're providing you know, kind of coaching and coaching uh, courses, especially for personal branding and LinkedIn. So in the month of April, our LinkedIn gained 500 extra followers. So in six months, our company page has gone up to 4, 000, nearly 4,000 followers and 35% engagement, which just isn't heard of in LinkedIn. But the personal brand element's great. My personal brand in, in the, from, from March to April, I think I've gained about uh, 800 new connections. So I'm currently on 7,000. I have built that in a year. So personal branding and kind of the power of personal branding, we've really focused on social media and analytics. We've definitely focused on wellness and mental health. We focused on, and, and we're really working with companies right now on how they can keep this, um, digital behavior inclusive and really think about how they are making the most of this time, allowing their employees to work from home, but also giving them the time and the space they need. So we're doing a lot of kind of workshops. So to answer your question in summary, it was really difficult, but we definitely went in and kind of, you know, threw ourselves in the deep end. We understood a lot about ourselves, our offering um, and our community. And we came out with kind of five key pillars that we're currently focusing on, a really solid marketing strategy, and most importantly, uh, an appreciation of what people are going through through this time so that we can share that with, with corporates and really help them to um, provide the, the best kind of possible possible resources that they can. Yeah, it sounds like your sort of holistic view on um, on sort of helping and empowering these people help the transition into um, the isolation period because there's a lot that you get to focus on. But for yourself, what's sort of the most rewarding part of the job for you? Honestly, doing things like this, um, 
it's absolutely crazy when people message me, you know, or, or just want me to come and share our insights and what we've learned. And, you know, it's extremely humbling. And the second thing that's ex even more probably is, is helping people. What I realized through this experience and through the last kind of, uh, you know, two years is I've always had a voice and I realized my voice is one for the people and two, it's so I can educate and three, it's so I can support you and help you. So if we ever have a conversation or if you meet me, the first question I'll ask you is, how can I help you succeed? What are your goals and how can I help you? And that is the most rewarding thing. You know, I have, honestly, I have like, five virtual coffees with people I've never met before a day. And each time it's like, how can I help you? And how can I make you better or your life better or your, your, your professional setting or your personal setting better? And the fact that I can connect with such a vast amount of people, but most importantly help them is what brings me the most amount of success. Um, and, and as a founder, your values are driven by different, uh, sorry, your, your decisions are driven by different values. What I realized is money is important, but money is not my main driver and it's not my main value at this time. And so I'm able to really focus on helping people around me and creating that social impact that's so necessary. And um, a lot of the students at Lewagon, and I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening in today, um, themselves would love to build build a business, build a career. Um, but as you know, the entrepreneurial journey can be a little bit daunting. Um, are there some sort of myths that you can deconstruct or advice you can give for people who are looking at making that journey themselves? Yeah, I'm going to do um, a ridiculous plug right now, but this is exactly what my podcast is on. So my podcast is called Strategically Winging It, and it is an honest and fun conversation between side hustlers, leaders, and founders, exactly on that point that a lot of people think you have to have it all figured out. Um, I, I go to a lot of, I do a lot of lecturing, go to universities and kind of give similar talks and the first question and, and um, the, the question that always comes up is, where's your business plan? And I can honestly tell you, I didn't make one until my advisors told me I had to, right? So you don't start with a business plan, you start with an idea is the first kind of myth I want to debunk. The second is nobody leaves their job and becomes an entrepreneur if they haven't been doing something on the side for a while. So even the studies show that normally entrepreneurs have been doing their um, kind of uh, uh, toning their craft or, or kind of really working on their skill set for at least 18 months before they even take that leap. So so don't think it's overnight. Thirdly, the entrepreneurial journey is, is just as difficult as it is rewarding. And that's be not because you're your own boss, even though over 55% of entrepreneurs do it because they are their own boss. But most importantly, because you can drive your decision based on your values and based on what's important to you in that time. So one month, it could be very financial and the other month, it could be very um, kind of voluntary, let's say. And the last thing that I want to debunk is that fear of failure and that fear of uh, that lack of confidence everybody has. Right. And that's really what ties us together. And yet we're so afraid of talking about it. The whole um, journey of an entrepreneur is you you do something you see if it works if it doesn't work you do something else and you you try again that that is what entrepreneurs do and that's what makes the that that's the beauty of the business that you're leading is you think of every phase as a small innovation lab and for those that don't know what innovation lab is it's quite like a techie consultancy um vibe and kind of terminology it's it's rather than let's say you have a team of 10 rather than putting all 10 people on one project you actually split them, 10 is a bad number actually. Let's say you have a team of um, nine and instead of splitting them and putting them all on one project, you actually have three of them lead mini projects over a shorter period of time and see if it works. And if it works then you expand and if it doesn't work, you, you scrap it and you try something else. That idea of innovation labbing and innovation and, and kind of like doing small instances of services or businesses or products over a short period of time and seeing if it works, is exactly why we're flourishing is because we've done webinars over, you know, consistent webinars over April and we, we only had April to do it. So we tested in April. Now in May, the feedback is it's really difficult to do that many webinars. So I'm not going to recommend it to anyone, but it's equally rewarding. So rather than doing 12 a week, we've kind of cut ourselves down to four maximum. And we also know the type of topics that people are now interested in. So we know it's like social media, personal branding, analytics, data, how to get into tech, how to transition into tech, how to be 
uh, kind of a, a new business founder. So that's what we're going to focus on. And instead of now giving ourselves a month, we're going to give ourselves three months to see if that works. And, and you know, the, those are kind of the, the four main areas that I'd, I'd like to debunk just 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 for anyone who's who's who wants to go for it. You know, my my biggest piece of advice is don't, don't be afraid to try. If, if you don't like it, you don't like it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But sometimes you just don't get the moments back in your life. And it's just worth taking a leap of faith and, and giving yourself to time to really figure it out. Yeah. You, you can tell that you're not sort of afraid to to try. You've been recognised by um, Lloyds Bank um, as one of their UK rising stars. Um, and you were finalist for a number of other um, sort of those tech awards um, by very proficient companies. Is there something that you're most proud of in, in your career? Is it something um, that you developed in LMF or? Um, the, the fact that I got to deliver two TED Talks in a year I'm very proud of. So the first one hasn't come out yet due to technical difficulties, but the first one I did in May, and then I was asked to do my second one to deliver in December. So two in six months is quite, is very rewarding. Most importantly, because I could share my message to a, to a larger cohort. But if I was to be really honest and get a bit more sentimental, the proudest thing right now is that I don't have to change who I am and I'm really accepted by people around me. And I can honestly say I haven't felt like that before. Um, I have an awesome team. And, and, and you know, they, they, are, they are the people that are really, really creating the impact. And I have a great friendship group. And that's because through this journey, I've identified myself, my strengths, my mm -hmm. skills, and let, focus less on the weaknesses and now find myself a community who is accepting of those aspects of me. And that self-fulfillment and that, that belonging um, at the age of age of 27 is, is incredible. But equally, I know that a lot of other people feel a lack of belonging and a lack of community and don't feel they can show up and be their most authentic selves. And that's, you know, having now feeling feeling successful in that area, that's exactly what I want to what I want to help and impact. Yeah. So I'd love to go into that a bit more with the public speaking that you, you've been doing over recent years. Um, how did you sort of get into public speaking itself? What was the first thing that sort of came up or drew you towards doing it a bit more? Um, do you know what? Believe it or not, I am a very talkative person. <laughs> Believe it or not, you never get. And uh, I also am quite uh, outspoken, believe it or not. Um, and so the truth is that I think I've always been a public speaker. I just mm -hmm. hadn't realised why I was publicly speaking and I think that's a really important thing to know is I've had a lot of messages actually in the last couple of weeks asking uh, people asking me to, to coach them on how to be a public speaker and I'm happy to do so but the first thing I always go back to is why like wh what what do you want to do do you want to inspire do you want to motivate do you want to educate do you want to do you just want to do it because it's commercially it's viable do you have a story to share do you want to be a thought leader like wh what is your why and I realized for me it was my why, my why was I like to educate, mm -hmm. right, upskill people. And so to answer your question, um, through building LMF, obviously, I had the privilege and the advantage of, of introducing our workshops and, you know, hosting our brunches and, and, and kind of summarizing the content and then and taking it away. But it was Jan 2019, where, um, again, remember, I said, I, I started my year, which was think like a man royal mail so someone someone who i think had signed up to one of our branches in eventbrite then connected with me on linkedin saw the great work i was doing on linkedin from royal mail invited me to come and give them a webinar on how to be more inclusive in in, in the workplace and in the same week i knew a lady who worked for santander who was again following my journey in the six months she was like you know i'm really it's incredible how young you are and how confident you are. Can you come and give us a workshop on how to be confident? And believe me when I say that I didn't get paid anything for any of these, right? I mean, they just about paid my train ticket. And that's just because I was like, this is outside of London. Please at least cater to that. So the first thing I want to debunk is not that it's okay. And I, I would, I don't advocate it, but you know, a lot of people that start, they don't start with money. They start with 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 the trying to turn their craft and, and trying to really really gain the experience so those were the first few things that i did from a public speaking perspective and these are large companies and i didn't say yes from a from a oh i'll get your branding i said yes from a like let me practice then in february 
I had a meetup organizer um, kind of message and say, you know, you came to the meetup last month. We're looking for a speaker. You, um, you, you said you were interested in, in social media analytics and especially kind of growing your LinkedIn. Would you like to give us a 15 minute talk on that? And I was like, I no, honestly, I don't want to, but I said I would and say yes to everything. So I did. And so I very much took myself out of that comfort zone and said yes to a lot of things that I naturally wouldn't have. But most importantly, you know, I thought about my why. I'm doing it because I want to educate. And I'm doing it because I want to up myself and I'm doing it because I want to gain confidence. And so I always go back to your why when you want to public speak or when you when you want to become a thought leader. But equally, when you're listening to people and when you're following people, when you're inspired by people, also think about what their why is. Because if it's not organic and if it's not, aligned with your values then then maybe that just isn't the person for you yeah um i know you mentioned um you started the year with think like a man um if uh, you haven't seen sonia's ted talk yet go and watch it um it's on uh, failure before resilience if i'm remembering rightly um yeah failure before resilience so yeah um i love the way in the ted talk you you described it as a failure as temporary disruption um can you sort of give us um, some more information about that and your sort of viewpoints on failure? Yeah, so um, for anyone that hasn't heard it, I'll give you a bit of a spoiler. It is all about all the times I've failed. And 2019 was a horrific year in terms of failure. Um, it was terrible. To the point where I burnt out and was on sick leave for five weeks. So that's how terrible it was. But equally, what I, what I gained from it was I burnt out in September and in November, I quit my job and, and took a while at doing this, right? And the point is that I definitely think failure, uh, resilience is a muscle and, and having that strength to do things you have to practice. So I guess I just practiced so much in 2019 that I got to the end of it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for the for the big weights, let's say. But the, the failure aspect throughout that journey and throughout all the conversations I had, I realized that we all fail and that is the one, if not the one of the most universal things that brings us all together. Everybody has failed. Everyone makes mistakes. Nobody gets it right. Nobody is perfect. And yet we don't really talk about it. And when you do talk about it, those are the exact same failures that you learn from. And, you know, starting, starting the year, I'm a completely different person to what I, how I ended the year. Um, when I started the year, I thought I wanted to work in the corporate world. I thought I wanted to follow a very linear approach. At the same time, I thought my my kind of weaknesses defined me and that's really where I wanted to, to to focus on. I got to middle of the year and I realized, you know, my strengths are in connecting people and creating a sense of belonging and, 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 and public speaking. And you got to the end of the year and you realize, do you know what? I have a lot more to say and, and a lot more to achieve because I can now relate to most of the world because I also have failed. You know, um, I when I say I left my job, it's not really I left, but you know, let, let's be diplomatic here. Um, but I, I didn't pass. I, I failed. Let's say, <laughs> let's be really honest about it. We can laugh about it now, but it was um, quite sad then. Uh, you know, I, I failed to get into a university. So, so I got into my PhD degree, but I failed to, in my, in my eyes, I failed to go through with it due to other circumstances. I failed to look after my health, and you know, I, we talk, we talked about my first job. I failed probation when mm -hmm. I first started. You know, I'm a straight A student. How you fail probation, how anybody fails probation, I don't know. But equally, I've never heard of someone failing probation. <laughs> so, so to me, it was, it was ironic and hysterical. But what it taught me was, you know, there's always a chance to try again. And when you do try again, you learn from where you failed or where you made a mistake before. And you, 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 you remember not to do it the same way. Um, and most importantly, you can then share those learnings with other people. And, and I, that, that's, that's ultimately what I want to do. And I just think it's, you know, it's time that we're quite honest about things. I, I can pretty much say or guarantee you that if you went to another thought leader or someone else in my position, maybe they wouldn't be as candid or as honest mm -hmm. as I am. But that's just because that's one of my values and I and I hold true yeah. to it. And another quick question on that before before we hop into the questions um, from, from the audience. Um, another sort of taboo subject that I guess um, would be great to ask yourself, um, 
uh, I know that you've mentioned a couple of times um, sort of tips to fight anxiety, especially um, being a woman in the tech workplace. Um, coming from a sporting background myself, a lot of um, my peers have suffered with anxiety. Um, so it would be it would be sort of great to hear from someone like yourself what your tips would be um, and how you've sort of experienced it in the workplace. Yeah, that's a great, great, great question. And I just want to start by saying that what what I suggest isn't for everyone, but I would definitely, definitely recommend to give it a go. And then again, give it a go and see if it works for you or if it doesn't working for you. Um, just because I appreciate it's quite quite both a, a deep topic and quite personal. I get a lot of anxiety and I've always had really bad anxiety. What I tend to do for it is, or what, I, what I've started doing now is um, I've started recognizing my skills and my strengths. So I have something I call the three S's to make life really easy. It's, you know, go go and write down all your skills and your strengths. For each skill and your strength, write down a success. So that's the second S. And then for each success, write down a so what or an impact or a result. And that's the third S. And what that will do is slowly you'll come to like kind of a, a, um, a filter system, right? So it'll be like, right, these are what I think my skills and successes are. But here's the where I can really see what the, the stories are and what the impacts been and, and kind of the um the so what this is really what my skills and strengths are and and again that reminds you when you're when you're in times of difficulty that you've either done it before or you've been quite successful or you've been in a, in a place of of confidence and you're 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 able to do go, go through the with that the, the second thing and uh, the most most important thing i found is a lot of anxiety also comes with not having great people around you um Toxic people are, are horrible. And regardless of your age or your gender or your mindset, everyone has some toxic people in their life who they need to very much get rid of in, in the nicest way. And psychology and, and studies also show that toxic environments, toxic people and being around toxic community um, really elevates anxiety and, and, and feeling low about yourself or feeling like you're not mm -hmm. capable. And so when you start to identify those emotions, also start to identify who's around you and who's maybe making you feel that way or making you feel lesser than you are and actively work to distance yourself or to, or to you know, have positive thoughts in your head. And the third thing is um, that I found activities that work for me. So, for example... I can feel myself when social media is getting to me and I delete all my apps and I make sure I stay mm -hmm. away from it. I also involve people in that conversation. So like I said, I've got a great team. So I'll drop them a message just saying, guys, I need to I need to not be online right now and I'm going to take a step back. And that's not just my team. Sometimes I do it to my friends to be like, it's not I'm ignoring you. I just I just can't okay. respond anymore. I just can't do them. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and I throw myself into activities. So, you know, for me, I'm not a runner, don't like it, not not my thing. But I found that if I try something new and I, I keep trying and I try and get over that hurdle, it works. And so currently I'm doing the night run app. And, you know, I've gone from being able to jog 12 minutes in the beginning of March to now being able to do 25 without, without stopping. And it's really slow. Like I'm not going to go in a marathon or anything. But it just, it just proves to me mentally that I'm in a place that I can get over my own yeah. fears. And you know, that could be doing an art class or that could be um, going and lifting weights or that could be baking or that could just be binging on Netflix, right? No no one has any, no one, of course, unless you're doing like, you know, drugs and alcohol, that's not recommended because that's all, that's just going to increase your anxiety. But if we take those those kind of bad, bad, um, bad solutions away, the point being that a lot of, a lot of dealing with anxiety comes with acknowledging that you are anxious and then trying to analyze the situation you're in or you've put yourself in and, and then determine how you can take yourself out of it. And that's why I wanted to, you know, start with the respect of everyone who's going through their own circumstances and not everybody knows the full picture, but ultimately for you to, for you to be less anxious and to be more confident, it has to start from within and then everything else can, can help. Um, and everything else will just help to elevate the the the, the empowered feeling that you already have. Yeah. Thank you for sort of sharing that with us. Um, I'm going to just jump straight into one of the questions um, that's been um, upvoted. So um, I'll start with uh, Maria Pomoni's question. Um, she said, great, 
Great job, Sonia. Amazing background. Um, I was wondering how did you start in terms of finding um, your logo, setting up your brand and finding your audience for LMF? So how did I start? Do you want the, the, honest, the honest story is um, there is a free tool on the internet called Canva. I went on Canva and I chose the first prettiest logo that I could find. <laughs> that is normally how most people start. So do not get into the hype that you need to pay a lot of money for it because you don't, because your branding like you, like your story, like your services, like your products will evolve, right? Um, I talk about my podcast, but my podcast, my idea for the podcast came last Monday. I'm launching it tomorrow. That branding has been done on Canva. So I literally went on Canva and I was like, right, this looks decent. Played around with the colors, asked a few people. Yeah, that's what I want. Good. And don't overthink, right? So your your focus group or your kind of marketing, the group that you ask can be your closest friends, family, your community. Um, make sure that you acknowledge some of your personality type when you are branding yourself, because ultimately people buy into people. And that's really important. So when we started Like Minor Females, that's exactly what I did. I went on Canva. I saw a logo that made a lot of sense to me. The, it, it was very similar to the logo we currently have, um, but it was far more feminine and, and far more kind of the attributes were far more girly and, and kind of uh, tainty in that sense. It was still the pink. So our LMF pink has been signature, but we've changed things around. We worked with that for about 18 months. And then we had a designer uh, volunteer her services and, and just created new branding for us. Right. So in the beginning we had, we, we went with what we had and that's completely fine with my own brands, i.e. Sonia Barlow, same thing. I went on Canva and I was like, oh, do you know what? It will be great to have a big S in red. That's what it is. Really, really not that deep. And then my my podcast, the, the vibe is fun business startup um, meets real cool kind of failure stories. And and so as you see it, and it will come out tomorrow and I, I'll, I will send the link around. That's the vibe it goes for. So it has corporate colors mixed with like really fun images and features. And the way that I've decided on that is, I have asked my uh, teammates and, and kind of friends to be like, what do you think of this? And without me saying to them what it's meant to look like, I've asked them to tell me what their perception is. When it comes to your website, there are tons of free tools on the internet. So uh, the LMF website, I first did myself. I'm not, I'm not technically built to make a website, but if you want to do it yourself, the wagon is the boot camp for you, right? Um, but for me, it was very much, I went on Wix, I went on YouTube. How do you build a website from a template? I did it myself. Wasn't wasn't the best, but it got by. And then for my own personal website for Sonia Barlow, um, same thing with Squarespace. So I kind of very much gave five days of my time to, to create it and was happy with the finished project. And then thought, you know what? I'll go back in three months and assess it and I'll add things when I need to add. So you know, to your point of like, how do you start in the branding, the marketing, the website? Genuinely, that's not the biggest of your worries because you just want to go and you just want to start. And then as your audience grows and as your dynamic grows and as your, your target market becomes niche, you will evolve that marketing and branding. But what's more important than marketing and branding is knowing who your target audience are, knowing their mindset, knowing where you're going to find them um, and kind of knowing the kind of messages that will relate to them. So more of the comm strategy less the marketing and the yeah. brand yeah it's a great plug for the wagon as well if anyone needs web developers um i'm sure there's a bunch of uh, graduates who'd be happy to help um and and the next question from um, from mary akinyemi um she's got a couple of questions on uh, mentorship how, how did you yourself find a mentor if you found a mentor um and how can you perceive if someone will be a good mentor that's a great question it's such a good question so uh, I, I want to start by saying that it's, it is awfully difficult, yes, to find mentors, and it's also quite nerve wracking. Um, and the second thing is don't think that you have to have a structured mentor mentee relationship for someone to be your mentor. So one of my first mentors, her name um, was Anastasia, is Anastasia, and she's absolutely awesome. And when I was in my final year of university, she actually came and did a talk um, on one of the workshops I was attending and I just thought she was awesome. So I just kept in touch with her and I kind of reached out and said, you know what, do you, would you mind grabbing coffee with me? And I went and grabbed a coffee and she told me her story and I really, it really resonated with me. And I said, you know, I, I'd love if you could 
mentor me as I'm as I'm transitioning between my career from graduate to to um, to the job market. And she was more than willing, but of course there were some terms and conditions. Like she was super busy, so you know we could only kind of meet once every quarter, and it wouldn't be as structured. But she'd definitely be able to help me where where she can, and she she was great. In the workplace, I identified the type of character that I'd like to be. So one of my um, one of my really good mentors, and to this day we're really good kind of uh, uh, friends, let's say. Uh, her name her name was Davina and and her name is Davina. I don't know why I say was sorry. Her name is Davina, and she it was the chief um, financial officer in my in my second company. And I remember I walked in and it was just a strong uh, a strong Indian lady leading the company. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that wow. I, I honestly thought wow. Like I came from a company where uh, I didn't see strong people that looked like me leading, right? So I walked into the company and here was the chief financial officer and she's she's a, she's a strong Indian lady. And I was super intimidated, like very intimidated. And it, it took me a lot of months to, to bring up the courage to kind of talk to her. And a mentor-mentee relationship is two ways. So in the beginning, you should very much have a discussion and, and kind of get to know them on a personal note and allow them to know you on a personal note. And what that means is going for a lunch or going for a coffee or catching up in each other's lives or, you know, going to the kitchen when we're off, off a kind of COVID and, and having that conversation or during this time, just putting some time into to connect with each other and understanding what's happening outside of just the work situation. Yeah. And then second of all, it's aligning your goals. So for me, I wanted to be a, a manager. Like I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted to be a leader and, and someone that younger girls could look, look up to. I've always wanted that. And so I thought, right, she... I look up to her, she could really help me. And so our goals align. So think about why you need a mentor. Uh, is it is it for a career change? Is it for a career development? Is it for personal development? And so who would fit that remit? And, and thirdly, it's also acknowledging what can you bring to the table? So just if you're a mentor, you know, mentors also have mentees, but it's a reverse mentorship is really important. So it was right, well, what can I add value? How can I add value to her? And what I realized it was, for me, it was about... Um, it wasn't about the network. She's very well connected. And it, it wasn't about the skill set, but maybe it was a different dynamic of a different generation. Maybe it was a new wave of thought. Maybe it was, um, you know, a fresher perspective. And then I very much put coffees in the diary and I asked her and I was like, can you be my work mentor? And she was, she asked me, she's like, what does that look like? What, what do you want? And how can I help you? And why me? So that's why you need to have all the prep ready because some people will ask, you, you know, why me? Mm-hmm. And not in not in an intimidating way, but more like, am I the right person for you? Otherwise, I know other great people that would be just as good, if not better. And we kind of decided on that and just made it a point to to meet up with each other. So be that monthly or be that regularly in, in whichever time frame worked. And now I don't work there and she doesn't work there, but we actively keep in touch. So that mentor-mentee relationship still exists, but it exists on a whole different level. And we keep in touch just via WhatsApp or, uh, you know, we see each other every kind of three months and we just make sure that we are aware of each other's lives. And, and I'm sharing her content. She's sharing mine. I'm involving her. And she's been a, a kind of a big advocate of like-minded females. And she's spoken in our, in our forums a lot because she also wants to share her knowledge. And, you know, I wanted to elevate her her knowledge in there. So I guess to, to really answer your question, you know, identify why you'd like a mentor, um, align it with your, align the people that you possibly would want with your with your goals. Um, uh, think think about what value you can add and then very much, um, very much reach out to, to him or her or, or them via LinkedIn or via email and just say, look, I, I appreciate X, Y, Z and I think I really like it if we could be in a position of, of uh, if we could connect and, and grab a coffee or, or kind of talk online. And then, you know, we kind of ask that question and be like, actually, I would really like this relationship to be of a mentor mentee nature, which means it's slightly more structured. And, and, and this is the areas which I really think you could help me with and go with that. And this is how I think this could work. And then allow them to come back back to you. Yeah, I you, Mary, you're asking kind of th- this particular um, a person. So if you want to take your, your questions offline and DM me on LinkedIn, I'd be happy to help you personally because I know that there's like a story behind your question. 
um, so I so I can help you and I can help formulate those templates and, and really really bring that to life. The other thing is if you're if you're wanting to get into a mentor mentee relationship but you don't know where to start, look for the or look for the courses or kind of programs that already are occurring. So so like I mentioned, we're actually launching one um, tomorrow, and it's going to be virtual for six months, and it's open to men, women, you know, gender fluid, non-binary. It's open to everyone but we're going to match you based on your capabilities and your goals. And it's going to be reverse mentoring. And we're kind of going to do the matching for you so that that takes the pressure out of you having to find someone and yet you can still achieve your goals. Um, but think about all, all the other ways that you can get involved outside of, outside of having to ask yourself, let's say. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I, I've seen, I, I think we have time for one more question unless um, Celine, Celine jumps in. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead with this last one. So um, it's from a current student, uh, Megan Thresh. Uh, she's asked how you target dif uh, groups at different stages in their professional careers. For example, women starting out um, versus those who've been working for a number of years. Um, that is a great question. We do that by, so, uh, so sorry, just, just to confirm the question is, um, very much on the LMF perspective. Yeah, I think it's about how you at LMF target the women at different stages. Yeah, that's a great question. How we do that is by um, making sure our events are extremely themed and our key takeaways are really clear. So it's not necessarily the speakers that we get in, though some speakers do relate to other, other kind of speakers very much. But um it's more that our webinars and our workshops are themed a particular way and so it will always have a kind of about this webinar workshop why you should attend and what we hope you get out of it so example we're launching a student series that uh, my colleague anna launched in in the beginning of april that very much is called student series so you know that's for students that one we've made really clear but something like transitioning into tech um and something like you know um uh, yeah, transitioning into tech or a kind of changing industry, or we just had a really, really good one on marketing and branding. That one we align by kind of what your key takeaways are, what the themes are, what you're what you're going to get out of the session, and equally if we've done it before, what the feedback's been, um, mm. and we make sure we align it accordingly. As well as as well as to your point, uh, we we have a very diverse both advisory board as well as a kind of teammates. And what that means is that everything we do gets checked by them. So any language that may not be in place or anything that we can we can make better, um, or if it doesn't kind of hit that brand, they call up call us up on it, and, and they very much say, look, this is not something that we'd be interested in, or our our professional kind of age group would be interested in, and so so we think we need to get that changed. Um, and so keeping accountable and making sure that you understand what's going out before it does is, is really important to us. And we actually have a meeting every Tuesday at six o'clock for an hour to talk about upcoming events and why we're doing them or workshops. And then we have a um, meeting every Sunday for, for two hours with our different uh, kind of LMF chapters and uh, Anna, who does our, who does our LinkedIn to think about what kind of content's coming out on LinkedIn and what that sounds like and, and who is it relevant to. And um, so everything is very much vetted in a process with the hope that it will meet the, the end user in the target market. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.